trying to predict the future is a discouraging and hazardous occupation because the prophet invariably falls between two stools. If his predictions sound at all reasonable, you can be quite sure that in 20 or at most 50 years, the progress of science and technology has made him seem ridiculously conservative. On the other hand, if by some miracle a prophet could describe the future exactly as it was going to take place, his predictions would sound so absurd, so far-fetched, that everybody would laugh him to scorn. This is going to be probably a silly pick, but I would say the Orioles. Um, the Orioles, not a bad pick. Well, I, I don't know. It might be a bad pick. Good morning and welcome to episode 231 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. Um, and Ben, how are you? Okay. So we just got an email about two hours ago saying uh, from a from a person who said he liked the show and, and hoped that we would never run out of topics. <laughs> and uh, we lulled. We, um, we lol yes. Uh, because we are completely out of topics to the point that, in fact, today we are doing uh, that old standby, uh, the the hits, the clips yes, clip show. show. The clips show. We're <laughs> the doing a clip milestone show. Milestone episode uh, 231. We're actually going to be, uh, we're going to just, we each picked a couple of, um, of topics that we talked about and uh, that provide some ability to reassess now that we have more information. So basically we're, I guess we're kind of going back to uh semi-predictive things that we said to see how our opinions have changed i guess is that a, a fair way to phrase it yeah i don't I know guess. Which, mine I don't, aren't completely I don't know okay. predict predictions really yeah mine, mine aren't either. okay so that's not <laughs> not a fair way to put it then there are things though that i, I when uh now that we have more information i think it's it's fun to re I, I i actually what i wanted to do basically when when i when i proposed this to you is that i just wanted to re-raise the same original question now that we know mm -hmm. more um, so anyway, uh, so I have, uh, three things I wanted to bring up. Okay. Do you, did you, you brought two? Uh, yeah, I, I might have, I kind of have two to three. Well, I have three to five. <laughs> well, I can't top that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll go first. Okay. Um, so, uh, all, and all of mine are fairly quick. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, Barry Zito, after his second start of the year, he had two scoreless outings to start the season, uh, seven innings apiece, mm -hmm. and I made the uh, perhaps uh, outlandish uh, suggestion that the Giants should just go ahead and negotiate a, a contract extension with him as a as a way of avoiding the awkwardness um, if, his, if, if it looked like he was going to later on in the year reach his 200-inning vesting um, mark for an $18 million deal. For next year, uh, it's a seven million dollar buyout. So basically, it's an eleven million dollar uh, option, more or less. And I just figured that the Giants, uh, that there was a reasonable chance that Zito was going to get there, even though he hadn't thrown two hundred innings as a Giant, and that it would make things easier if they just picked it up now. And that the you know the Giants, even though Zito sucks, the Giants um, have so little pitching depth, and there were so little options coming uh, along the way that they might actually not even. Uh, consider 11 million a, a bad deal for Zito, um, and uh, you know, and he's he's well liked uh, personally, and, and anyway, it would it'd be a, maybe it would be a way to end the story nicely. So uh, since then, since then, Zito has um, has a 5.25 ERA. Uh, he has the lowest ERA plus of his career. Uh, he has uh, averaged 5.5 innings per start since we brought it up 
5.73 innings per start uh, for the season, which would basically be uh, put him on pace to do about 183 to 190 uh, innings if he pitches a full season without missing a start or getting hurt. So he is not currently on pace to reach 200. The Giants are probably going to get out of this. And uh, that was part of the risk. I mean, I in proposing it, I, I you know I also knew that there was some reasonable chance that you know Zito would just continue to be terrible and and get worse, and that you'd be you know obviously the team would be um, would be um, acting before they had to, um, and you know it could go badly. And I think that it's it's worth pointing out that even though Zito has been terrible, and even though Zito is not likely to have his option best. Um, it isn't like the worst case scenario for the Giants would still be to have Zito. I don't think because I mean it, it would be worse than than what they're you know than not having done anything. But he's got strangely enough he has only the fourth worst ERA plus in his own rotation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vogelsong, Lincecum, and Kane have all been worse, and Kane obviously is not you know not going anywhere. But the other two, um, I mean, we talked about this with Ian Miller in the uh, preseason. Mm-hmm. A preview show where it sort of shocked me that the Giants didn't do anything to, to solidify their sixth, seventh, eighth uh, spots yeah. in the rotation in the minors or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, I mean, the, the fact is that Lincecum is not really an option and they're stuck with him and Vogelsong is not really an option. And right now he's been replaced by Chad Godin temporarily. Uh, and it remains the case that they don't have a, a really legitimate pitching prospect above high A. And it's a weak free agent class for starting pitchers, and 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 Brian Sabian has really strongly resisted free agents, uh, particularly top tier free agents, uh, as long as he's been a Giants GM. So um, you know, you 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 they would have taken on um, they would have taken on a, a contract that uh, you know an, an option or an extension, I guess, that they wouldn't have wanted to. Uh, but on the other hand, if there's any team that sort of has uh, would benefit. From any innings, even lousy innings, right now it might be the Giants. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would like to note a bit uh, tangentially that the Giants uh, this year are a big disappointment. I think they're a 500 team, and they have a 110 OPS plus, which is by far the best in the National League. It's actually an improvement on last year when they had the second best offense in baseball, and by or in the Ameri- in the National League. And by UZR, they're the number two defense in baseball. Uh, so it really pretty much all comes down to the fact that they don't have five decent pitchers. They Right now, they only have one. And even if you give Kane credit for being the second one, they still only have two. And um, I just, I'm not sure that they really adequately assessed their own starting pitchers coming into the year, although it's very easy to say that after the fact. Yeah, there was a, I was scrolling through our, our really old topics in Google Reader. Um, and we had a topic. I think it was it was before last year's playoffs about whether we trusted their rotation, or maybe it was during last year's playoffs um, about whether we trusted the Giants' pitching. And I guess we had doubts even then, and more doubts this spring. Um, so yeah, we had we had doubts. We had doubts. Mm-hmm. All right, that's mine. Okay. Uh, oh, all right. Are we alternating? Sure. Okay. Uh, so this one you and I were just listening to. Uh, we we did a podcast on what we thought the least likely team to win a World Series in the next ten years was. Uh, we did that on August thirty first, episode 
33. Uh, so close to a year ago. Um, and my pick was awful. Just a horrible, horrible pick. Uh, we were just listening to ourselves and, and laughing and cringing before we started recording. I picked the Orioles, which was awful. I mean, not just in that in that they've been good this year, but <laughs> but that they we acknowledged the, in the conversation that they yeah were I, I acknowledged the in the conversation or... that that they were <laughs> strong contenders to make the playoffs in the current season. Uh, and yet, <laughs> which put them ahead of, you know, most teams at that point, just in terms of their odds of, of winning the World Series last year. Uh, and yet I still still pick them. Uh, so I'm not not proud of that pick. Um, and you uh, you picked the Indians after almost picking the Blue Jays, uh, which I wish you would pick the Blue Jays. So I would feel a little a little <laughs> less bad about my own pick. Why? Why? The Orioles are a worse pick than the Blue Jays today. Uh, yeah. Blue Jays would, would still have been a bad pick. Worse, than, worse uh, than the Indians, I think. But, well, I mean... <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. We've talked about, I mean, 12 games ago... Yes. <laughs> we talked yeah, about we just, the Blue Jays. Could revisit that and, and we and we wondered whether you know what the long term implications were of going sort of all in on this and what it meant for the front office. I mean, we fire we have we have discussed the firing of their GM. We've discussed whether this you know is a uh, you know s- scorches the earth in Toronto for baseball for a years. I mean, for a few years. I mean, that was only two weeks ago. So <laughs> I I yes. agree that Toronto is not the pick that I would like to have made. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm glad I didn't. But uh, Cleveland's sort of, um, you know, Cleveland's not a good pick. Yeah. I guess <laughs> I mean, they were, they were, we Basically, we failed to foresee off-season Six, yeah. spending sprees or, yeah. or remakes, overhauls. Um, yeah. If we if we had to, to redo our picks, would we just yeah. both take the Marlins now? Yeah, well, there's no doubt about it. And we were wondering, just you and I, a few minutes ago, why we didn't pick the Marlins. And it was because the Marlins hadn't done their 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 huge, huge uh, forfeiture of talent Which yet. Maybe they had, we should have foreseen, because the exodus had sort of started. Uh, sort of, but Sanchez was a free agent. Infante, you wouldn't have any problem trading Infante. And then Hanley, that was a bad contract. Mm-hmm. It seemed like a bad contract at the time. So, And I, it is a bad contract. It's a bad contract now. So... I don't know. And, you know, Hanley had had some issues in Florida. So I didn't foresee their offseason going the way it did. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, I saw a front office that had seemed fairly committed to winning at that point mm-hmm. and, um, you know, had done, I, I would say, arguably done the smart thing when it didn't work out and made taken prudent steps in the, in the um, you know, at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the but now it's now there's right, no doubt. So the Marlins I mean, are the, I would take the Marlins against the field. <laughs> so the Marlins are the gimme pick now. So so let's pick. Uh, let's each pick a non-Marlins team. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's God. I mean, it. I I want to say no because <laughs> well, I mean, we'll need a we'll need a topic ten months from now that we can revisit. We can't. We can't. We can't avoid risible picks in a ten month time frame. <laughs> And so now we're talking about 10 years. I mean, this is just, this is the great 
fallacy of the human brain that it just thinks it can always predict way further out than it can. I mean, it, we're, we are horrible at this. To be fair, and we, so, we, hate, we hate making predictions. We do hate making predictions. So, all right. I will... It's funny because I've been a big Mariners booster for like the last four years, uh-huh. and yet I'm leaning toward the Mariners right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, like I kind of want to say the Brewers, but yes, I mean, my mind. but I mean, come on, like te- you know, ten months ago the Brewers were making a charge at the playoffs, and they had just pulled off this incredible heist of the Angels' talent. And two years ago they were they were in the playoffs, and you know they. What yeah you know what I, I mean? Feel like the combination of a team that's not going to make the playoffs this year, um, doesn't have a great farm system, and is a small market team makes them a pretty good pick. Yes, uh, that's that's right. Because because right, there's basically three factors that we can identify that uh, we are very we are pretty good at predicting one year out. <laughs> I I would say we're we're pretty good at that. We're like you and I are are. N- not bad at predicting when you're out, especially for things that are sort of self-evident and anybody could predict them, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one factor. And then farm system, as you know, as we've seen in that, you know, in those couple of pieces mm-hmm. I did in the off season about the ten years of farm system effects, uh, you know, we're that's that's a pretty good proxy for the next three or four years. And then um, market size is a pretty good proxy forever. Although, as we talked about earlier, not really anymore. There's a much smaller correlation between market size and yeah. than there mm-hmm. ever has been. So maybe not, but, uh, yeah, the, the, the brewers, uh, struggle on all three of those, although they're basically a mid market team. And I think I would, yeah, I would go with either the brewers or the white Sox. If you had any guts, you'd pick the pirates. <laughs> the pirates would be the equivalent just, of the I'll Orioles. I'll double down on the Orioles. They haven't won yet. <laughs> I could still be right. Uh-huh. Um, no, I think I'll pick, I don't know. I, I'll take either the Brewers. I, I guess I'll take the White Sox just to pick a, a team other than the Brewers. Um, I tell you, I tell you what. In a in a year, I would in a year the Royals might be the slam dunk number two, hmm. or or they could be in the playoffs in four months. Um, but if things go really badly for the Royals in the next year, I mean, you could you could envision us having this conversation a year from now, and and Mustakas and Hosmer are both considered, you know. Justin Smoke level flops, and um, you know they've they will have fired their front office by that point. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can you can foresee a lot of things going wrong for the Royals between now and then. And and they have the they have the strongest legacy of. I mean, they're the they and the Pirates are the only two teams that have you know have twenty years of this, mm-hmm. right? So uh, you would probably we're we're right on that line where the Royals are uh, either. Uh, you know they're going to tip one way or the other, and you could see them being the easy pick in a year. Yeah, or not. That makes sense. Yeah, I mentioned White Sox just because they are a current last place team with a weak farm system, and we talked about recently how they're kind of in that that no man's land between. I mean, they're not really rebuilding, and they're not really contending, and they don't have a a lot of great players coming up, and they don't have a lot of great assets that they can trade. So it's kind of a a sticky position. Um, I guess they they have the fact that they're a, a bigger market team going for them, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I'll take them. All right. Uh, I've decided in the middle of this, by the way, that I'm removing one of my topics and it's going to be its own topic on Thursday. Okay. 
just so you know. All right, so now I want to actually smoothly transition to uh, my other one, which uh, is the Royals. Uh, we talked about the Royals about a week or two into the season in our confirmation bias episodes yeah. uh, because the Royals were, uh, let me think, they were winning at the time yes. behind their strong pitching. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you could say that Dayton Moore's plan to get Irvin Santana and James Shields and Wade Davis was brilliant and was going to work out. However, the premise of that whole thing was that their young hitters were all going to uh, blossom at once, and that had not been happening yet. So we assumed that both of those trends would probably reverse themselves, and in fact, neither one has. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, the You'd have to say that Shields, uh, you know, in a vacuum, has been a, a very good good addition. Irvin Santana has obviously been a, a very good addition. Jeremy Guthrie, um, unless uh, you can correct me if I'm blanking, uh, if, I, if I've if i missed the last three weeks or something, but Jeremy Guthrie has been pitching you know very well for them. And uh, the problem is entirely that they are not getting good. Wow, Jeremy Guthrie has actually turned lousy. How about that? Yeah, he was uh, kind of a, a luck regression candidate guy. Goodness gracious, that's not many strikeouts. No. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, but none of their none of their young hitters, you would say, have uh, matriculated, mm-hmm. right? Not uh, not a single one of them has. Uh, Perez has probably held serve, I yes. guess, and Hosmer has not. He's uh, he's he's where he's been. Mustakas has regressed to. Not quite Brandon Wood levels, but I would imagine DFA talk if it's not being, you know, or not DFA uh, uh, optioned mm-hmm. options uh, might be whispered about. Uh, and um, so, yeah, I mean, the, what, what I guess <laughs> so we were. Yeah, so. What, what did we say about them? Uh, I was optimistic, I think, just because I was optimistic going into the season uh, because I did think that those hitters were were likely to to kind of as a group take a step forward um so i don't know i guess at the time when when we talked about it i i was still kind of optimistic that that would happen at some point this season or at least uh that it was i guess about as likely that that would happen as it was that the pitching would would collapse um so now I don't know. I, I mean, it's it's. I guess the the question is, did is is this is the way this has played out? Here's the question: Is the way this has played out vindication of Dayton Moore's plan, or is it an indictment? Uh, well, I, I think he should probably be commended for putting a rotation together that has been good. That he, I mean, ideally he would have had some homegrown starters to go into that rotation, but he didn't. And if you failed to develop pitching, then the best thing you can do is to go acquire successful pitching. And mostly he has done that and, and I think exceeded our expectations. Um, but the, yeah, the objection though is always that it was, it was bad timing that they were not as good a team as, as he thought. Yeah, and yeah. That even if James Shields and, you know, maybe Irvin Santana even, mm-hmm pitched as well as he thought they could it wasn't going to be enough to make them much better than a 500 team and, and here here it is they're not better than a 500 team so and yet not for the reasons that we thought necessarily yeah it's hard to parse that i can't tell who's 
who is wrong or who should be. This is why, yeah, no, this is why, this is why people hire lawyers. And this is why everybody thinks that all lawyers are liars because two lawyers could absolutely argue opposite yeah. facts in this, mm -hmm. in this, uh, in this case. Yes. Uh, you know, there's a lot of ways that Dayton Moore could say that he did it just right. And then there's a lot of ways that you could go, geez, every, every blogger with a dial up knew how this was going to play out. Why didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, if you had if you had told us this spring that that the Royals pitchers would pitch this well, we probably would have thought that that Kansas City would be a playoff team. Uh, I think I might have. I I think I would have given them uh, the possibility of it. I mean, if you told me and they're a playoff team, I wouldn't like slap you in the face <laughs> or anything like that. But I mean, it required a lot of growth. Their hitting wasn't good last mm -hmm. year. That they, they, I mean, you don't. You don't assume that young hitters are going to put it together. You just can't do that. And they had not put it together yet. They had they had flashed, but they had not sustained. Mm -hmm. And you especially can't do that when it's the Royals, it seems like. It does seem like that. Um, so uh, so now I guess the question for, for Moore is how bad do the optics start to look now that Myers is in the majors? Um, Francoeur and Shields have produced uh, 0.3 warp. Mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, Frank Kaur is who wouldn't be playing if, if Myers were there. And, uh, you know, uh, it seems pretty... Uh, I mean, who knows what will... Maybe we don't know which direction Myers will go. He's he's looked very good. Mm -hmm. RJ, is, RJ is completely, completely all in on yes. him after being pretty skeptical, uh, you know, a week mm -hmm. ago. Um, and, you know, it's it seems like... It seems likely that... We're probably a few weeks away, at most, from Myers passing Francoeur and Shields' combined warp. And that's just probably uh, some version of that fun fact is probably going to get brought up a lot. Mm -hmm. And it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, how how much that becomes the, you know, the narrative of this season. is Every time Myers hits a home run, um, whether it gets mentioned that he's not a Royal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that will be brought up. Um one of the topics I wanted to revisit was when we talked about why everyone doesn't like the Cardinals. Uh, it was last October, episode 63, uh, Why Does Everyone Hate the Cardinals? And at the time, we, if I recall correctly, were kind of perplexed about why people didn't like the Cardinals, why they were rooting against the Cardinals, why they seemed to have this animosity for the team. Um, and I guess we kind of pinned it on maybe their, I, I guess they're kind of under La Russa, their, their tendency to complain about things or his tendency to complain about things, or maybe the, the reputation that Cardinals fans have as the best fans in baseball, which annoys every other fan base. Um, but it seems to me, and I don't know that I, that I'm right about this, but it seems like there's been a change now uh, where people no longer resent the Cardinals, but they have now just come to respect them and admire them. Uh, and I really haven't heard anything negative about the Cardinals lately. I mean, maybe you still hear negative things from Royals fans or Reds fans or, you know, whoever their, their rivals are, but Certainly in the, the national press or things that you read, there is nothing but but love and universal admiration and respect for the job that the Cardinals have done. Um, 
I guess it's more directed toward the front office than toward the team, but it seems like there's there's no real animosity directed toward the team either at this point. Um, and I, I've kind of been thinking about it because it seems like every day I listen to a podcast or I read an article about how incredibly brilliant the Cardinals are, and it's really hard to, to argue with that. Um, Will, Will Leach's line on his podcast is always that just in the last several years, the Cardinals have uh, gone from having one of the worst farm systems to probably the consensus best farm system and also won two World Series over the same span, mm-hmm. which yeah. seems unfair. It seems like maybe maybe you should be able to do one of those things or count yourself lucky if you can do one of those things. But both at the same time is is just not fair. You shouldn't be able to be that successful while restocking your farm system and having this wave of young talent coming. Um, So it makes me wonder, because I always get this feeling when this sort of groundswell of support starts building for a front office or a regime or a general manager, uh, I always wonder whether we are overrating them as, as great as it seems like they've been. It's like that old baseball saying about how you're never as bad as you look when you're in a slump and you never as good as you look when you're winning 11 games in a row like the Blue Jays or whatever whatever it is. Seems like maybe it should apply to, to front offices also. Um, and you look at the Cardinals and a lot of their success has come from drafting and developing players and you talk to pretty much anyone in the industry and they will tell you that the Cardinals are just really, really good at those things. Uh, really good at identifying young players who will be good and then grooming them to be good and all of that. But we've also probably talked about on the show the element of, of luck that comes into the draft also. So I always wonder when a when a team kind of goes through this period where it's almost universally hailed as the, the smartest front office, and we've seen this lately. I mean, you know, the Rays have been that team. I guess they sort of still are. Um, the Blue Jays were kind of hailed as that team. Uh, and and I wonder whether or how much luck or just kind of having some breaks go your way uh, influences that, that opinion of a team. The comp I think of is the Rangers. To me, though, the, the Cardinals have... have- moved up alongside the mm-hmm. Rangers as the team that is um, that is, that just seems to be so good at every right. facet of team building that that you 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 just eventually you just start rooting for mm-hmm. them um, and I uh, you know I, it was it was sort of I mean the Rangers have uh, come back to earth a little bit compared to where a year ago they seemed to be uh, but they're still you know they are also a team that has um, you know made the playoffs three years in a row gone to the World Series twice and has, uh, according to Jason Parks, a top five farm system. Mm-hmm. Um, and the I think that one thing that, that has, I think the thing that has to some degree turned the tide uh, for Cardinals haters uh, is that people really like prospects. I don't mm-hmm. think people like, I don't think people like it when a 26-year-old comes up and scraps his way to uh, to to being a, a really good player, um, like I think there's a sort of resentment when like a John Jay or a, a Ryan Ludwig or or whatever the case may be just shows up and you're like, oh come on, he's 28. <laughs> like what is that about? It feels lucky or it feels sort of weird. It's like somehow suspicious mm-hmm. or something or just like not not sporting. Uh, but people love prospects and it's kind of ironic because 
um, to there are teams that you know are are always like trying to get like the big splash free agent because like they think that's going to put butts in the seats and um, you know they, they, there's this idea that like fans love famous people but I think what fans love is like s- just hot sexy prospects like they <laughs> they love they love youth I and that's I, I was, that's changed I think probably to some extent now that it's much easier to to follow those people and much more people covering yeah. it. I mean, yes. you're, you're more aware of those players coming up. I think that's I think that's absolutely true. Uh, I also think that I and I this might just be in 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 my life or in my perception, but um, I feel like so much of what has become interesting in the game is just old people doing things and young people doing things. Like we've become really obsessed with age, mm-hmm. and so a 26 year old who does things, even if he's even if he's you know new to the league, isn't that interesting? But a 20 year old is. We're really really into the extremes of age. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Cardinals, um, uh, I think right now to some degree, the, the Cardinals uh, big league club is more popular because their minor leagues are more popular. Mm-hmm. Their minor league system is more popular. And when they were winning, for the most part, when they were winning, you know, over the last 15 years, I mean, the Cardinals have been good forever. Geez, mm-hmm. uh, they were you, you never really thought thought of them as the team with the elite farm system i mean even like even albert pools came up mvp candidate from like day one uh you know arguably the you know the best uh up to that point um you know one of the three or four best rookies ever one of the three or four best two-year players ever i mean immediate hall of fame superstar talent and really one time on a on a baseball america top prospect list and like in the 40s or 50s and you know 16th or 13th round pick so uh it's always been like getting these guys who you felt like were overachieving and it's, it's interesting that we, that didn't resonate because you you would imagine for a cardinals fan that would resonate a great deal and you would internalize that that sort of sense of pride that your guys were were not elite prospects and that they they, they made themselves into something but i think for us it's harder to accept mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it, it's always interesting to me when there is turnover in a front office that's highly respected and has been successful, when maybe the guy at the top leaves or some some key executive who's been credited with a lot of things leave. Uh, there's always the question of like whether that guy was responsible for their success and whether whether he uh, you know whether if the team continues to win after he leaves. Uh, whether he should be getting the credit for that and whether the system he set up can continue without him. So I know that, I guess it was like a couple weeks ago, um, someone tweeted at me and I think also separately at you uh, to yeah. ask about Lunau and whether Lunau should be getting credit for all of the Cardinals' success right now and then asking us about like individual, you know, like their their farm director, or their scouting director or whatever and you know, how good they are and all of those things. Um, so that interests me too, uh, because it's, I I guess, and you see it like, I don't know when, when Theo Epstein leaves the Red Sox or something, it's like, well, does, is that the end then? Can they sustain what that guy set up? Uh, and then does the guy who set it up deserve all the credit even after he left? And I think we, we both said, I think, you know, Jeff Luna probably got all the reward that he wanted and deserved when he made became a general manager uh that's kind of the recognition of the job that he did 
And it seems like when you read interviews with these guys or, you know, they seem to say that once that once that system or that process is set up, you can you can kind of lose the guy at the top and replace him with some other probably equally smart person. And it will just continue to function smoothly. I guess there's a there's a limit to that. There's a point at which too many people leave or there's too much brain drain and and you start to see kinks in the armor or, you know, something starts to spring a gasket. But it, it seems like you can just kind of keep the machine running. Um, and a lot of the people who were around when the Cardinals were building the team that they have now are still there. Uh, and it, it seems like they are set up to win for quite some time. But they, I mean, they have a they have a mix of, of the hot, sexy prospect and the, the 28-year-old guy who no one saw coming. They have... They oh, have yeah. both. They have everything. Well, the, right. They're currently still winning with the 28-year-old yeah. guy. Uh, they just, like, they have this incredible system beneath it. Although, I mean, there is Shelby Miller and Rosenthal contributing. So, you, How much have, credit do you give them, by the way, for uh, for not re-signing Albert Pujols? I've, I mean, you wrote about the, the process of the Angels signing him for ESPN. And I don't, I mean, do you think that the, the Cardinals... Did they did they expect him to decline that offer when they made the offer that they made to him? Yeah, I think they did. I I uh, I think that they're uh, if they well look if they had signed him for the offer that they made, which I think was something like ten and one ninety five, as I, I recall. Was, uh, I, I thought it was more, but I, I thought it was like two twenty or something. But I'm not sure. Um, uh, it would it would similarly look terrible right yes. now. Yes. Uh, which is which is weird because it's um, at the you know at the time I think that was seen as being a low ball offer and the Angels was seen as being um, you know way too high um, and yet at the end of the day it's yeah, you know, the that, reports that, at the that, time were that were that they offered him ten years and two twenty. Uh huh. I I remember there being a lower number involved. I I don't remember why I think there was a lower number involved, but I'm just saying that there's a possibility that there was actually a lower number involved. Okay. Um, but, uh, cause there were multiple offers being made at various stages and, and that sort of thing. But no, I don't, I, I didn't, I don't think that they, uh, I don't think they expect them to get it, to, to accept it. And I don't think that they were really that super eager to have him back. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Yeah. It would be interesting. So I give him credit. I definitely give him credit for, for letting him go. Yeah, I would too. Although if he had they, accepted that, if it was 220 and he had accepted that and decided that he just wanted to be a Cardinal for the rest of his career. And, and I don't know whether they, they knew for sure that there was going to be an offer that exceeded that. But I, I mean, they had to make some sort of effort to, to keep him, I guess. Um, just, yeah. Well, it's hard to know. It's hard to know whether, how much they, well, okay. I'll put it this way. Uh, Albert didn't feel like they wanted him back. So whatever they were telegraphing, they were telegraphing a, you know, sort of like go away kind of uh-huh. disinterest. So uh, either that was by accident and they botched it and, or Pools was just sort of paranoid and oversensitive or, you know, they did what they had to do <laughs> to make mm-hmm. sure that that, that didn't, uh, you know, come back to them. So, mm-hmm. okay. Um, uh See, I'm finding 195 here. Although, oh, you know, nine and 195. Ah, okay. So, 
Uh, all right. Um, there was one more thing I wanted to. Wait, wait. I uh, want. Uh, yeah, me okay. too. So let's not move on. Are, are we? Are we on the same topic? So? Uh, no. But you. Yes. Oh, okay. I, I just. I just want to ask you quickly: Is the Cardinals Rangers the baseball nerd ideal World Series matchup? Uh, not you know not the common man necessarily, uh-huh. but the baseball nerd, or is it? Uh, does it get demerits for being too repetitive? Yeah. I... I guess it it would to me. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd, you know, I would kind of like to. It would be nice if the Rangers won a World Series with this this team. Uh, I mean, they've been there a couple times. They've been competitive and they put it together well, and they deserve to win as much as as any team does, I guess. But uh, I think I think I think the A's have to be in a stat nerd World Series uh, mm-hmm. just for the kind of killing the. The Billy Bean yeah. can't win in the playoffs. Moneyball yeah. can't win a World Series argument for good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think they have to be there more so than the Rangers do. Um, yeah. A lot of validation at Thanksgiving dinners <laughs> around the country if, if he wins one. Right. A lot of uncles being told the what for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can't. I guess I, I guess the Cardinals would be the NL representative. I can't think of a team that would be more emblematic of that um Uh yeah and the last thing that i wanted to mention i don't know that we have anything to say about it now that we that we didn't then uh but we've talked about some of the stupid stuff that we've said we could probably do multiple hours on that on that subject um but we did at the end of november last week in november first week of december we did two shows when we talked about why two players didn't make more money than they did, uh, Russell Martin and Koji, Koji Uehara. And uh-huh. I'm still still wondering <laughs> about that, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Uh, it seems like every time you read or hear anything about Russell Martin, he, is, he has to be referred to as a steal. Uh, he, is, he is one of the, I guess, one of the best values so far. And he's... He's exceeded probably our expectations also for him. And maybe Uehara has also. I, I, I don't know. Maybe not, though. Uh, we we both really liked him. But he is, I mean, he's now closing, right? He is, I mean, he's like the the number one guy in the, the Boston bullpen and has been fantastic as always. Um, has not been hurt, which I guess is what we speculated ultimately was the reason that he didn't make more money than he did uh, was just that teams thought he was fragile and didn't trust him. Right. I mean, is there any other theory? Uh, that he uh, let Texas down in the pennant race. Yeah, right. And he's old. Uh, and he's old and he just, he's suspicious because he just, he, he, I mean, he's just pumping in strikes. Mm-hmm. There's something, I mean, he, uh, he one of the fun factoids, uh, fun facts about Koji Uehara is that since he got traded to to Texas, he's allowed uh, more home runs than than walks, uh, and it was like actually twice as many home runs as walks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while we might get really uh, you know excited about the strikeout to walk ratios, there's a fair number of home runs mixed in there. Mm-hmm. But I mean, look, he's he's 38 right now. And I'd put his chances at probably six percent, maybe seven percent at making the Hall of Fame. <laughs> so into him, you like I him am. a little more than I do. 
<laughs> but I, I like him a lot. I too. would. I actually would. Uh... I will gladly accept Mariano Rivera's retirement <laughs> if, if if Urahara promises to go another fifteen years. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I don't really have any anything to add to what we probably said. Then it seemed like those guys should should make more money than they did. Um, and we could always revisit the podcast where we talked about Brendan League's contract if we wanna if we wanna look exactly as smart as everyone else who talked or wrote about Brendan League at the time. Very briefly, uh, somebody just asked me tonight uh, to project uh, Puig's end-of-the-year slash line, and we also talked about Puig uh, at various points mm. um, and our impressions of uh, his his future as well as his hype. Do you want to give me a, a slash line? Uh, okay. Um, I guess I'll say uh, 3-13. Um Three seventy-eight, uh, five forty. Oh wow! So you're actually uh, higher than me. Uh, Paul, who asked, took the under on all of mine. I said three twenty-six, three fifty-five, five sixty-nine, uh, which for no reason at all was simply Kendry's Morales's two thousand nine line mm. uh, with a few extra points of batting average. Um, so uh, yeah, so we're both we're both. Uh, high, although I mean, I don't, I did not calculate how much of uh, what what that line would actually be from this point yeah. forward to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I honestly don't know whether that is a compliment or an insult <laughs> to be mm-hmm. given what what his line currently is. I imagine it's a compliment because he's at like eleven seventy right now through three weeks or whatever. And if we're both projecting something like a nine fifty, can't uh, for you know three months from now, you can't there, there can't be that much mm-hmm. correction there. So. So all right, so we're we're all in on him. We're buying yeah. it, I guess, mm-hmm. or something for this year at least. For this yes. year, we'll 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 figure out ways to badmouth him <laughs> for for next mm-hmm. year. But for now, we're we're in. Okay. All right, that'll do. All right, uh, and tomorrow's the email show, and we could still use some, I think. So please send us some at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. <laughs>